0: Richard. <laughs> right, great to be with you again this morning. I was here last uh, Sunday, and uh, last Sunday we looked at the message of the cross. I'm going to bring you a rather different message this morning, and we're going to look at one of the parables. So if you have your bo- uh, Bibles or other mobile devices, you might like to turn to Mark chapter 4, and uh, I'll read to you, uh, I guess. A pretty well-known scripture mark chapter 4 from verse 1 again jesus began to teach by the lake and the crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching he said listen A farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Another seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some 100 times." Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the seed. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word away that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60 and some 100 times what was sown. Now, the parables, of course, tell a story, And you're probably aware that Jesus very often used parables. Jesus liked to teach by telling stories, and it meant that people could easily identify with what Jesus was teaching. And often in the parables, you find, of course, there's a touch of humour as well. So people listening to Jesus could be thinking, oh, I know somebody like that. Well, in the 21st century, what we have to do is to seek to identify how these stories really relate to our own lives today but essentially the parables tell us what the kingdom of god is like Uh, and in fact many of the parables actually begin by jesus saying the kingdom of god is like and then he tells the story and that's because uh, really the main theme of jesus teaching was the kingdom of god it comes again and again and again in the gospels Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And whenever Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, what he's teaching about is the, the rule or the government of God breaking in, what God's government, what God's rule is going to be like. Now, as it happens, this parable doesn't begin with Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like, but nevertheless, it is here in this parable. It's there in verse 11 jesus said to them the secret of the kingdom of god has been given to you and i want you to particularly notice here that jesus says it is given to you the secret of the kingdom of god is given to you i want to suggest that is is something particularly important with this parable because most of us if we're familiar with this parable will probably think this parable is addressed to non-believers or it's addressed to those who seem to be believers, Uh, but in the end prove that they're not believers. And because it's addressed to those groups of people, if we're believers here this morning, it's pretty easy, therefore, to switch off and feel that this parable doesn't actually relate to us. And to be honest, I would be amazed if some of you didn't inwardly groan when I read the parable of the sower. Uh, It's so familiar, it's so well known, it's something that addresses uh, non believers or the apparent believer, but it's not for believers. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that there is something here that definitely is for believers. And I want to bring an angle on this that uh, hopefully you may not even have thought about before. You see, we are the people of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, his rule, his government, should be seen, demonstrated, and expressed through our lives. Jesus says in the context of this parable, the secret of the kingdom of God is given to you. And he's talking to his followers here, to his disciples. In verse 9, he therefore says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So, let's hear from this story. Let's get into it. What does it say to us? Who's the sower? Well, you might think, surely it's God, but I would suggest that although this parable is about the Word of God. In fact, if you look at it closely, you should need to understand the sower as the one who is teaching the Word of God. And actually, this morning, that happens to be me. So here I am scattering the seed of the Word of God. And as the seed is scattered, it falls on different soils. And we'll look at each of these. So first of all, some seed falls along the path. Now, Paths are not made for seed. Paths tend to be hard. They get trampled on, they get beaten down. Uh, they're not really an environment for spreading seed. If you want to grow a new lawn in your garden, you're not going to do it by scattering grass seed on a pavement. Right? It's, uh, it's not the place for spreading the seed. Paths are busy. Paths carry traffic uh, They represent people on the move and on the go. And I want to suggest to you that probably many, if not most, maybe even all of us today, that we feel we're somewhat like that, we're on the go. I mean, how often do we say to one another today, oh, life is just so busy at the moment? Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, I feel there's more and more administration that comes into one's life. I mean, we have these computers and all these technical helps, but all it seems to do is to multiply administration. Uh, And uh, I find myself again and again, for example, on the phone trying to resolve some problem that has to do with something I'm signed up to in terms of some account or uh, some insurance or something. And then they take you through a whole load of administrative questions, and then they start to ask you things that obviously years ago you registered as being something that you could identify with. And one of the favourite things they asked me was, what was your first car? At which point I say, a voxel wyvern. And nearly always they say, oh, never heard of one of those. And that immediately dates them, or at least it dates me. Okay? I mean, only yesterday, just comes to me, we went into Waitrose. Now, let me, just in case you're thinking, we usually shop at Tesco's, okay? But it, it just happens to be <laughs> uh, a few things in Waitrose yesterday. Uh, more administration now in Waitrose. You're, you're meant to pay your own way through a pay-it-yourself till. All right? I mean, the administration involved in that. I mean, we, we found that there was a can of tomatoes. Couldn't find a barcode because you do all by barcodes. So we had to call somebody over. And he says, I'll run off and get you another one. So he goes off about half an hour and eventually comes back and says, none of them have got barcodes. So then he's altering the machine and doing things. Then we find we've got a red pepper, and that hasn't got a barcode on. And then I have to go over to the vegetables, and I have to put it on scales and get a, a label out and stick it on, on the red pepper. And then we've got a voucher, and the voucher won't work, so somebody else comes. It took three members of staff and about half an hour, to people trying to help us administrate, getting about six items through Waitrose, Pay It Yourself Till. I mean, that's how life is today. Everything is so busy. We're a generation on the go. And the more go we go, the more virtuous we feel. In fact, I think we actually like to impress people with our busyness. Have you noticed that on a Sunday morning, you don't ever have a conversation with somebody, you have a long conversation with somebody. Do you see, speak to so-and-so? Oh, I had a long conversation with them this morning. Let me tell you something about Christian leaders. They only ever go to long meetings. All right? <laughs> it's, it's just we like to impress, to show that we're busy, to show that we're on the go. And busyness can make us like this path. The seed is scattered but it's hard to put down a root. And Jesus says, at the same time, the birds come along and they snatch the seed away. And the birds can represent powerful forces in our lives, maybe ambition or some sense of busyness or a desire to impress or wanting to create a reputation to be known as a doer or as a goer. We're so busy and the birds keep, picking off the seed of God's Word that's being scattered in our lives. And then you get preachers like me who come along and say, what we need to do, brothers and sisters, is meditate upon the Word of God. Let me tell you this, all of us meditate on something. Even if we're busy, we are thinking about things. We might be thinking about whether I can get an advantage out of that or if I could achieve something by doing that, or we're thinking about sex, or we're thinking about television programs, or we're thinking about a film, we're thinking about winning the lottery. I mean, all these thoughts can go through our minds, and the birds keep pecking away, and the Word doesn't have a chance to get its root down into busy lives. So, for the seed of the Word to take root in our lives, So that we can be more fruitful, which is what Jesus is speaking about here, fruitfulness is a mark of the kingdom of God, we have got to give the word time. Now, I grew up years ago as a young person in an evangelical culture where we were very often taught about having a QT. Now, these days, there may be some of you in this congregation who don't even know what a QT stands for. But a QT was short for quiet time. And uh, uh, this was a reference to personal prayer and Bible reading. And it was recognizing that uh, if you're going to be fruitful, you needed to give time as a Christian to prayer and Bible reading. And that ideally you would do that every single day. And then to make it really potent, you would do it in the early morning. <laughs> in fact the earlier in the morning it was the more potent it was likely to be Uh, and so i can remember uh, listening to uh, lots of addresses as a, a young christian and being told and it came up quite often Have you heard of John Wesley? And yes, we had, that he used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning in order to pray, and we always go, oh, wow, you know, could I do that? Only in later years I found out he went to bed at 9 o'clock in the evening, so that did rather mitigate the situation somewhat. Uh, Now, was it legalistic? Well, perhaps in some ways it was. Uh, It could create an atmosphere where you kind of just did it as a sort of duty, you know, you had to do this as a a duty thing. and. The danger, perhaps, today is that to avoid legalism, we actually throw out an important principle, which is that we give time to the Word of God. Let me just be very practical with you for a few moments. Uh, Some of you may not need to hear this. For others, this might just be helpful to kind of stir you to think about reading the Word of God. It is good to get a regular time. I'm not saying it's got to be very early in the morning every single day, but to get some regularity is a good practice. Don't be too ambitious. I think if you're starting to read a Bible regularly and you think, I'm going to do this for half an hour every day, you're probably going to defeat yourself. No, you might think, let's start with, with 10 minutes at a time. Now, how do you read your Bible? Well, some people find that notes are very helpful. You can get notes uh, on a Bible passage uh, which will just give you a few verses to read and then give some explanation of the verses that you've just read. If you want never use Bible study notes and think you could find them helpful, go online to Scripture Union (coughs) and you will find that there are notes on the Scripture Union website that are offered you for free. So, you can actually use those notes uh, for free off the Scripture Union website. We have a a Bible bookshop or a Christian bookshop here in this conurbation, Keith Jones, down in central Bournemouth. They've got a whole range of Bible study notes to help you in that way. If you don't actually want to use notes, where do I start? I would suggest Mark's Gospel. You know, It's a simple read. Then move on to Acts and uh, read the story of the early church. Then move on to Ephesians, one of Paul's uh, shorter epistles. Read a few verses at a time, and then always pause and ask yourself a question. What is God saying to me through these verses? Don't just read them. Give yourself an opportunity to react with the Scripture. What is it that God is actually saying to me? Now, for some of you, all this might be very familiar. and You might be saying, actually, I'd like to press on a bit further. Let me just recommend to you that if you want to do this, uh, there is a series of commentaries. There's one for every book of the Bible. Uh, The Bible Speaks Today... Now, these are commentaries on the Bible text, they give you a few verses, uh, and then they give some very accessible and very good explanation. These uh, uh, commentaries are actually very useful for preachers, but they're accessible really for all Christians, and if you want to just press on a bit further, get a bit more depth out of reading the Bible, then I would recommend uh, The Bible Speaks Today, and I say there's a, a, a commentary on every single book of the Bible. You need perhaps sometimes to consider your method of reading the Bible. Some people like to respond to a challenge to read right through the Bible in one year. That will take you four chapters a day. It does have the unfortunate uh, situation that you're usually reading Ezekiel on your holidays in August, and I never fancy that too much, okay? So that's the way it works out. Uh, But some like to rise to that challenge. Let me tell you, uh, what I do and I've done for years, I read an Old Testament book and then I read a New Testament book. And I keep going through the whole of the Bible like that all the time. So I read the Old Testament book and, I, uh, and then I'm just finishing Isaiah. And actually, as it happens, the next book I will come to is Matthew. If you do that method, you tend to read the New Testament about twice as much as the Old Testament because of the different balance between the Old and a New Testament. So just think about a bit how you might actually read the Word of God. So the Word of God gets rooted in our lives. We're keeping the birds away and we're giving time to God's Word. And then next we see that some seed fell on rocky places. Now where there is no depth of soil, this is what Jesus is referring to now. So the, the Word is received with great joy. There's some immediate growth, but then The sun comes up, it gets scorched, and the growth just simply burns off, it dies off. As believers, can that happen to us? Well, I would suggest, sure, it can. This is what I call emotional Christianity. You hear the word, you receive it with an initial enthusiasm, whoa, yes, we're going to go for this, and then the enthusiasm dies away, and the seed of the word eyes as well because actually there's a lack of depth in our lives let me say actually this is a little bit of a danger with christian conferences christian conferences good as they are can create what you might call a straw fire there's an immediate kind of blaze uh, of enthusiasm uh, but then a straw which blazes up quickly dies down and fades away i heard of a christian leader recently who said we need to close the gap between the decisions we make at conferences and what we then do. What's the biggest challenge in politics? Well, apparently, it's circumstances or events. You may remember that Macmillan was once asked as Prime Minister, what's the biggest challenge in politics? And I think he was talking to a reporter who was much younger than him, and he said, events, dear boy, events. And it's events or circumstances That's the biggest challenge in politics, because you never know what's going to happen next. You never know when a crazy guy in Korea is going to start making threats. I mean, circumstances just arise. And I think circumstances are the big challenge for Christians as well. Things just happen, just arise. They're unpredictable. They're just circumstances that come at us. And therefore, there needs to be some real depth in our lives... Or circumstances can be the sun that scorches the growth of God's word in us. Uh, You can go to a conference and you can be so inspired by the word of God you could dream of saving the whole world. And then a couple of weeks later, the circumstances of your life are such that you have an incredibly busy week. So you can't even be bothered to get up to go to a church meeting on Sunday morning. Ever been there? Let me suggest the word cost needs to be used here there is a cost to getting some depth into our lives as believers jesus said take up your cross daily if you're going to follow him that's dramatic isn't it in the ancient world when a criminal was going to be sentenced to death the judge would say you will go at least in the roman world he would say you will go to the cross and the man went out to die and there is a cost in following Jesus and that cost will mean we get some depth into our lives but it will probably mean we're going to have to die to some things. Now that can be different for different ones of us. For example, there are those Christians that maybe need to die to a relationship. Circumstances come together, they work, they conspire together as it were and you didn't mean to get into this relationship and yet There's the Christian who suddenly finds he's kind of got into this rather committed relationship and yet the other person's not committed to Christ and and they're now struggling in in this. And, you know, there may be a relationship that some Christians have got to die to. Or maybe you're at work and uh, circumstances again just work out and you suddenly see that there's a shortcut. Oh, if I do that, I mean, it'd be a great shortcut. Yeah, it may not be that righteous, but, you know, it's possible. The circumstances are there. It makes it possible I could do that. And again, you may have to to die to that shortcut. Or it may be you've got to die to an advantage, that circumstances are working in such a way that they're creating some sort of advantage in your life, but actually, deep down, you know that that isn't isn't God's will, It isn't the right way. Let me just be very honest with you and give you an example from my own life, because I don't just want to throw this out theoretically. This is something that happened to me uh, a number of years ago. I was doing some itinerant preaching, I was writing a bit, and so I was earning a little bit of money alongside my regular salary, and so I used to get a a regular annual tax form, and I had to fill in this tax form to declare extra income and pay some extra uh, income tax. And then one year, this form didn't turn up, and I thought, oh, that's strange. Uh, Then I thought, perhaps it will turn up next year, and they'll rectify it then, but it didn't turn up next year either. And so I was now in a situation where forms weren't coming in, and I wasn't paying any tax, and uh, it was just a circumstance. Let me, let me make it clear, I didn't manipulate this, I didn't organise this, It just, just the way it was, it was the event, it was the circumstances. And I, of course, I didn't think about it too much, I wasn't living with it, as it were, day to day, but it crossed my mind from time to time. And, uh, uh, you know, I used to think just occasionally, what if I would be paying some tax, but, you know, there was an advantage to me here, and it wasn't my fault, it was just circumstances. It meant that I wasn't paying any tax. And then one day we had an elders' meeting and I was in the church in Brighton. This is some years ago. I was in the church in Brighton uh, and uh, we were going through a huge building program at that point and uh, uh, built the, the Clarendon Centre in Brighton that some of you may know. And we were having an elders' meeting and we were very, very tight for any kind of parking space uh, for our our services and meetings. And and next door to us, there was some British Rail land, and we realised that just by making a slight movement, so a fence, that we could achieve something in terms of parking. And so I can always remember this elders' meeting, we were discussing this. If we just did this, it would be to our advantage, because we could really get some uh, extra space and, you know, park some cars. And then one of the brothers in the eldership, he said this, I'm not sure about taking this advantage. Doesn't it say in the, in the Old Testament, do not move your neighbor's boundary post? And at that moment, God said to me, and you're taking advantage of uh, circumstances and not paying your income tax. And I had to go to an accountant in our church and say, look, you know, this has happened. And uh, he looked at my accounts, and he said, I suggest you write out a check for this much, which was more than I wanted to write a <laughs> check for, and uh, send it off to the tax office, since when, since when they have been very diligent in sending me annual tax forms. But, you know, it's, well, the point I'm making, brothers and sisters, is that it's not something you do, it's a circumstance, it's an event, and you can kind of play the game there, and actually it's robbing you of depth in your Christian life, and you've got to die to it. So circumstances will test out the depth in our lives. That's important because what happens when there's a real crisis in our life? I tell you, then we need the word of God to be really rich in our lives. Is there depth in our life for the scattered seed to flourish and grow? And here in verse 17, uh, Jesus says this, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. If there's no depth, trouble comes, and trouble will come, and a crisis will come. If there's no depth and the root of God's word isn't in us, then, says the scripture, we fall away. The word of God is what will hold you, the truth of God is what will hold you in times of crisis and trouble. But only if there's the depth of soil, for the seed of God's words are growing you. And then some seed fell among the thorns. And uh, these thorns choke the plants that are growing. Now, I want you to notice here, the seed is actually growing. But there are other things growing as well. And they crowd out and choke the plants. Can it be like that with us as Christians? Sure it can. The seed is rooted. It's growing but other things are growing in our life as well. And that can have the effect of shutting down and shutting out healthy plant life produced by the Word of God. Now, what are the thorns? Well, Jesus tells us, it's there in verse 19, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. And I refer to that as worries, wealth, and wishes. Those are the thorns. You know, there there are worries that can choke the growth of the Word of God in our life. I mean, some of us as Christians, even as Christians, we can worry for England, right? We can worry about the future all the time. We can keep saying, suppose, what if, what if. I've known people who are so worried about their health, they've made themselves ill, quite literally, by worrying about their health. Worry chokes the Word of God. Which is growing in our lives, or it can be wealth. You know, my need for more. What makes? How much money do you need to make yourself really happy? Well, just a little bit more is the answer. It's always like that. You know, just I can have a bit more. And uh, the desire for wealth, what I could do if I had wealth. I mean, a desire for money is always a thorn. It's, it's like bindweed. You never get rid of it. If you've ever had a garden with bindweed, you can never get rid of bindweed. It's always seeking to come up and choke other things. And wealth is like bindweed. It kind of wants to get its tentacles around you and choke out the word of God, which is growing in your life. And there's wishes. Jesus speaks about the desire for other things. I wish I had that, I wish I could do that, I wish I was like that person, I wish I had that person's house, I wish I could go where that person goes on holiday. And again, it's a thorn, it's a weed that chokes the Word of God, which is growing in our life. Be clear, we have the Word, we hear the Word, we probably read the Word, the Word can actually be growing in our lives but it's getting choked by other things that are growing in our lives. And so when it comes to worry, then what we need to do is trust in God, for God is the one who is stronger than any worry. Now, I know as Christians we have a battle to fight here. I'm always saying the Christian life is not like a battle, it is a battle, all right? And you've got to fight there so that your trust in God overcomes the worry. I heard this little tip recently, I think it's excellent, When we worry, we tend to say, what if, what if, what if? What we should do as Christians is say this, even if that happens, God is stronger than that event. Replace the what if with even if. It will help you to overcome worry. What about wealth? Well, I suggest what we need to concentrate on is what we should give rather than what we should get. And when it comes to wishes, how about having a supreme wish? The Apostle Paul said that I might know Christ. Let that be your supreme wish that overcomes other wishes. And the growth of God's word will then be vigorous and the thorns which are always wanting to choke you. Because if you've got a garden, there's always weeds. It's amazing. Weeds will grow anywhere, everywhere, all the time, overnight. And they're always threatening you. All right. But actually you can overcome so there's depth in your life and the Word of God can flourish healthily. And some seed fell on good soil. And this parable is telling a story. It's not a lessening agriculture. So, in this story, I think we need to understand that all these soils can actually be found in our lives as believers. That's why I say I think this parable is relevant to a believer. All of these sorts can be found in our lives as believers. But of course, what Jesus desires and what we surely desire is fruitfulness, which is the result of the seed of God's word getting into the good soil of our lives and really growing. Interesting here in verse 8, is it? Yes. Our other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some 100 times. I think... The different percentage of fruitful growth is actually dependent on how we deal with all the different soils in our lives. So let's finish the story as Jesus does, because in the end, he simply sums it all up. So, how can the Word of God produce fruit in your life and in mine? And there it is in verse 20. Jesus summing it all up, others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce... Uh, sorry, he, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Notice those three things that Jesus says there to sum it all up. We hear the word. Now, if we're citizens of the kingdom of God, we are those that should be hearing the word. I would appeal to you, do not coast along with the Word of God. You can do that as a believer. You can do that in church on a, a Sunday morning. You can come with the attitude, well, I'll sit back, I'll, I'll see if Matthew can entertain me this morning. You know, there's a, you know can, I, can I find anything interesting here? Uh, and we can kind of just coast along, kind of expecting the preacher just in some way to kind of bring us to life and entertain us and... Uh, We need rather, brothers and sisters, to be saying, this is God's word and God speaks through his word. I need to give it my best attention. And when we've got a gospel that talks of a saviour who died for our sins to set us free from condemnation and bring us into everlasting life and uh, fellowship with him forever and that we will have unspeakable joys for all eternity. And when we know that through the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we're going to actually live this life, even with the crises and the problems and the challenges that come, with joy and with certainty and and with a saviour who we know will never leave us or forsake us, it's always worth listening to what he's saying to us. And so we need to listen and give attention to the Word of God. It's also true as we read the Word of God, that's why we need to give it a bit of time so that we can actually hear what God is saying to us as we read his Word. Jesus says, accept the Word. Now, we might not always like it when we hear it, but this is what it says. We might be challenged by it as we read it. But it's not for us to criticise the Word of God, it's to criticise us. We don't sit in judgement on God's Word, it sits in judgement on us. And that must be true even as we read it for ourselves and give it some time. And then we also, uh, I say, need to uh, accept it um, and accept the challenge of it. And when I got that challenge, don't move your neighbor's boundary post. And God spoke to me through that word. I had to accept what the word of God said to me. And then produce something, produce a crop you remember that there's a very famous story of Jesus on the night that uh, he was with his disciples for the last time and was betrayed, that he had a meal with them, and at the beginning of that meal, uh, he took a towel and a bowl of water and he washed his disciples' feet, and we all know, I expect, the story and how he was demonstrating servanthood, that he, the king and lord of all, was actually doing the lowliest slave's job in a household, and he was teaching his disciples about servanthood, about serving people, and... You may remember that at the end of that story, as Jesus has modelled servanthood, he then says to his disciples, now you know these things. You're blessed when you do these things. You know, my friends, the more blessed we feel in listening to the word of God, the greater the danger that we think all we have to do is the listening. It's a subtle thing that comes in there. But actually, the blessing comes... And the growth comes, and the fruitfulness comes in doing what we've heard, what we've accepted, what we know. The scripture says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's stand together, can (laughs) we?